you'll turn with me to Psalm 99. You might be asking yourselves, why Psalm 99? It's actually, I'm concluding a series <clears throat> on the enthronement psalms that I actually started back in November of 2014. So when I have an occasion to be in the pulpit, which isn't very often, I, I keep plowing through the Psalms. I started in 93. Today I'm concluding Psalm 99 in that series. So again, my goal in the entire study, I want to, us to be able to see the God who reigns, if you're familiar with those Psalms, the God who reigns, I want us to be able to see him better and then to live life accordingly. I'm going to be able to work through the psalm today, and I'm, I'm praying that we see God better. And, and it goes without saying, but I, I believe that not only our church, but our nation needs a good dose of God, especially right now. And I pray, believe it or not, that he will change a life, if not multiple lives, even today as a result of me working through this. And, and I have to warn you, I'm only going to give you a 50,000-foot view of the psalm. And because of that, there are really two main attributes that I'm going to be pulling out of the psalm today. And it's basically, if you have a habit of writing in your Bibles, you can write um, verses 1 through 5, God's holiness, and verses 6 through 9, his mercy. And then as I read the psalm, I'm going to make some applications along the way. And James Montgomery Boyce, if you're familiar with his commentaries, he, he did a great job on this particular psalm. And he brought out a New Testament passage that I want to share with you. And for me, it really puts some meat on the bones of Psalm 99. And I really want to share that with you today. I find it very, very helpful. So as I read the first five verses, um, I would label this one, The Lord Who Reigns is Holy. Psalm 99.1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. So I have to stop you right there. Do you remember what happened back in August? Believe it or not, I'm sitting at my table at night working on this sermon. And it was a Sunday night. We're back from Financial Peace University. I'm sitting at the kitchen table with Ange, and I can see the clock clear as day in my, in my view. And I think it was about 10.43 p.m. Do you remember? An earthquake. Can you imagine? God's timing could not have been better. <laughs> I was terrified. I mean, I don't know how you felt around where you were, but in Geneva, Ohio, my house shook. And I looked at Ange, and I'm telling you, terrifying was my, my, my words to myself. <laughs> and Ange, she said, what's that? I, I thought Perry blew up. The nuclear power plant. I was convinced something, but no, it was an earthquake. Again, um, here, when it says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble, 
He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. I think that is what the people in, in Jerusalem and around Sinai at the time that we'll get into, they, they felt the earthquake. They, they heard God's voice, and we'll get into that. But again, it was interesting because that was, that was like an illustration for me right off the bat that I could offer you. And when you see, obviously when we walk through the passage, I'm going to comment here, but when you see the, the word LORD in all caps, what the Bible is saying is it's depicting God's name, I am. In Hebrew, it's, it's Yahweh or, or Jehovah. And the psalmist is emphasizing to everyone that they should tremble in reverential fear and awe based on who God is. He is the reigning I am. And he is unique, undivided, unrivaled, uncreated, undying, unchanging, and unaided. I lifted those out of a description of Pastor Joe's Gospel Meditations. That is the great I am. Verse 2, the Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Now, again, we see Zion, and again, I think in context, Zion here is synonymous with Jerusalem. It's the mount where the temple stood. Most of us know that. It also describes the land of Israel as a whole at times. Zion could be Israel. And Isaiah, actually, in Isaiah 8.18, he describes it as the mountain where the Lord Almighty dwells. Zion. And when it talks about he is exalted over all the peoples, exalted, again, means he's great, triumphal, honored, set up over everyone everywhere. He is exalted. He is the exalted one. Notice, again, this is the first word of the word holy in the, in the text. Holy describes this God of the universe, God who dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy 6, 16 describes him. And again, this is how I would um, venture to say verses 1 through 3. The holy God dwells majestically on Mount Zion. And again, here's where I want to want to bring in the uh, New Testament passage. If you want to flip there with me, uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews is going to be looking, looking back, and he's describing Mount Sinai and Mount Zion in a similar way, but I believe the, the psalmist is doing in verses 1 through 3. Start at verse 18 with me. Hebrews 12, 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and a sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, the author says, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Even Moses said that. 
Now, I believe the author of Hebrews is describing this scene from Exodus 19, where God has shown himself on Mount Sinai and is speaking to Moses, and the people are overhearing God conversing to Moses. They are hearing God's voice. But the people actually are hearing thunder, and they're seeing lightning, and they're, they're, they're experiencing smoke on the mountain. And in the meantime, the people, they, they are trembling at, the, at the, the scene and the mountain as the, as the mountain is violently shaking. And the author tells us that Moses confessed that he trembled with fear. And again, I have to go back. You remember the earthquake? I, I think it was a couple days that preceded that. All of the thunderstorms. And it was interesting because one of the thunderstorms, I don't know if it was out over the lake, but it produced thunder and it rumbled and rumbled and rumbled and rumbled for a long, long time, like minutes. I have never heard rumbling so long during a thunderstorm again in my life. And I think that's what's being described here. The people are experiencing God speaking and it's just like whatever, however that thunderstorm sounded, you know. <laughs> but it was interesting. I, I think that's what was happening here. And the people heard Moses conversing with God. Oh, better yet, God was conversing with Moses uh, on Mount Sinai. And the author here is describing, I believe, the God who dwells majestically on Mount Zion. If you want to put your bulletin there, it's easy enough to flip back and forth, but I'm going to be back here, so you want to do something if you want to follow along with me. Verse 4, Psalm 99. The king in his might loves justice. You have established an equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. This king loves justice because that's his character. He doesn't love it because it's something outside of himself. He loves it because he is just. And to be just means that he's fair, he's impartial in action or judgment. And there's a host of verses that talk about this. Genesis 18:25, Deuteronomy 32:4, Psalm 11:7, and then Isaiah uh, said something very similar in chapter 5, verse 16. Now Jacob, in this case, you'll notice, uh, is Israel, I believe, and Israel has been blessed by this just king. And this is how I would put verses four and five: the holy king is just and worthy of worship. The holy king is just and worthy of worship. Okay, so flip back to Hebrews for me. We're going to pick up reading in verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The author contrasted what we haven't come to to what we have come to. 
In the previous verses, in 18 to 21, we learned that the children of Israel, what they experienced when the earth shook on Sinai. Now in these verses, we learn what the believers are going to experience in the coming of Jesus for all of eternity. He's not looking back anymore. He's looking forward. Notice he's looking forward to the coming of Christ. All right, so let's pick up our reading again in verses 6 through 9 of Psalm 99. And you'll see in a minute why I've, I've uh, entitled these, The Lord Who Reigns is Merciful. The Lord Who Reigns is Merciful. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel, he was a prophet at that time, also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. The psalmist here is talking about Moses and Aaron and Samuel, and they were all types of mediators. God would speak to these particular men, and they would speak to the people on behalf of God, what he said. Noticed also that it says that they called upon his name, the, the name of the Lord, and the, obviously the only way they could have done that is if they knew God. They knew who he was, and they called on him. He is the great I am that they called on. The amazing thing is in the text, what did God do in response? He answered them, right? He actually answered them. One example was this, this, during this uh, time, Moses would go to the entrance of the tent of meeting. He would meet God there, and God would talk to Moses directly. And that was in Exodus 29, 42. It's just one example of that. And this is how I would uh, entitle the verses 6 through uh, 7. The merciful Lord should be called upon. Back in Hebrews... We're almost done there. Verses uh, 25 to 27 in Hebrews 12. Listen to what this says. When I, uh, when I mentioned the merciful Lord should be called upon, Hebrews, the author says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised yet once more, and I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. The author here is giving everyone a warning about coming events, I believe. The Lord Jesus, who reigns, is going to shake the earth and the heavens in a universal, global judgment so that only eternal things remain as he makes all things new in Revelation 21.5. And now I think we've, we're kind of setting up the context and the importance of understanding of the last two verses in the psalm, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger 
of their wrongdoings. Hence, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Notice that the Lord our God answered them as he will us, and he forgave them as he does us, if we call upon him. But what does it say? He will avenge any wrongdoings. Moses himself was not allowed to enter into the promised land because of his wrongdoings that God had to avenge on him. And if you look in Numbers 20, verse 12, it gives you the exact reason why of Moses' disobedience and what, what the Lord told him. Now, I have a quote in the front of my Bible that I put there recently. I thought it was very, very um, interesting in context here. It's by Chuck Swindoll. I'm going to read it twice in case you're jotting notes because it's not up on the board. Listen to what Chuck said. In light of these verses, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than you want to pay. That is why I see the last section of this psalm describing really God's mercy. Because the Lord answers us and he forgives us and then when he doesn't give us our just due, that's mercy. That is mercy. Now, just listen as I read the last two verses of Hebrews 12. 28 and 29 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Why? What's it say? Because our God is a consuming fire. Because our God is a consuming fire. We finally get to the main point. I think this is what Psalm 99 is teaching us. Christian, exalt our God, our holy and merciful God, who was the terror of the earthly Sinai and who is the joy of a heavenly Zion. Christian, exalt our holy and merciful God, who was the terror of the earthly Sinai and who is the joy of the heavenly Zion. Now, what, I, what I'm going to do here, you have to listen. I'm going to work out the exaltation and application of this holy and merciful God. And I, I need to say this on the outset. My applications are very sensitive. Could be to some of you. And 
they normally perhaps are saved for the counseling room behind closed doors. But I feel over the last several months, these topics have just come up and up and up in conversation and prayer requests. And I think I need to address these publicly as a result of what we've just learned from Psalm 99. So again, I'm doing this so not only that you can, you can hear them, but maybe you can help others, offer counsel, point them to Psalm 99, etc. that I'm going to walk through, Isaiah passages, um, and you'll be able to pray for people better, I'm hoping, as a result of hearing this. And ultimately, I want to prevent the things that I'm talking about We'll talk about it. I'm doing some preventive public counseling. You'll know here in a minute what I'm talking about. And because I don't have time to perhaps work this out as much as I desire, because I have to hit this generally, the applications are just like that. I don't have time to go into these in depth. But I want you to understand my heart, and, and I don't want you to come away saying Mark just offered some blanket, simplistic, easy solutions to these two problems. But I'm warning you ahead of time, you know. More conversation can be had afterwards. But again, I want to be able to, to lay some foundational truths for you to think through. Now that we've seen the holiness of God and his mercy, I want to direct your attention to two places in the psalm. That's where I'm going to pull my applications from. My first focus of the application is verse 5. And this is how I put it. Exalt our holy God in abject humility at his footstool. Look where the psalmist is taking us in in our worship in verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. So again, we we understand in context the people were gathering for worship at the temple, perhaps, is where your mind is going. But we have to ask ourselves, the psalmist is saying at his footstool. Like, what does that mean to us? It's the imagery, I believe it's the imagery of this just king's footrest. We have to understand God's footstool is going to ultimately... Be reserved for who? His enemies. Psalm 110.1 tells us that. His enemies will be there. But that's not the context of the verse, I don't believe. It's God's people. God's people here who willingly submit to him and his rule, and it's those people who are coming humbly to him to exalt the Lord at his temple And they are the ones gathering at his footstool. I think that's the imagery here. Those who have an accurate view of the holiness of God have no difficulty seeing themselves in context. They are low before God. We need to see ourselves at the Lord's footstool. We need to exalt him over self. We need to exalt him over self. 
because he's holy, a high view of God strikes at the root of pride. Does it not? It strikes right at the root of pride. Humility strikes at the root of pride. And pride and selfishness in our lives, you can probably pretty much point to any sin that you're, that you're struggling with. Do you have an anger problem? You think some right of yours has been violated and it makes you angry because your, your rights have been violated. You want something to go your way. So you, it makes you angry. Do you fear? At times, it really is. It comes down to, I need to be able to control the future and it's not, so I'm, I'm kind of afraid. Maybe right now. Because you want to be in control, not God. And I'm afraid it is at the root of pornography. And I want to spend some time on this because over and over I hear about this and it is a rampant plague that is sweeping the United States and really the world. And I'm afraid it is, the word is seeped. It is seeped into the church more than we care to to, to want to know. And as a counselor, unfortunately, it's becoming more or at least equal to financial problems in homes. Pornography is, is the topic on the table, along with financial problems, other issues of marriage. And what I did was I, I downloaded, just to get an idea, I downloaded um, some stats, a PDF from Covenant Eyes. If you're not familiar with that tool, I think you highly should get that. If you want accountability, you want to create accountability partners in your life to where you, you go on your internet searches. If you have a problem with that, you need to really have an accountability, and this tool will help. Because as you click and you search, your accountability partners have an have a, a electronic trail of where you're going. And that helps conversation. So I would, I would highly recommend that. But, but it's interesting as you walk through this, and I don't have time to tell you all the stats. Can you imagine how many billions of dollars go down this black hole in the revenue stream of pornography? It's, it is, it's massive. The website visits were on the stats, how many daily, monthly, yearly of the websites that are hit that, that people are, are following these websites. And, and not only all of that, but the huge impact on, on families, divorce rates, struggling in marriage just because of this one topic. It's devastating. And it's interesting because I have the word devastating and disgusting. I couldn't find a softer word for that. I'm sorry. It's disgusting. And when, when we think about financial peace just coming out of that, it's disgusting in my mind that that's how God's people at times are stewarding God's money. They're, they're using that to pay for porn. That's how they're being a steward of God's money if they're not going to free sites. Now, believe it or not, there was a Among 
pastors section in this document. And it's not, not just a lay person's problem, it's a pastor problem. It's an elder problem. It's a deacon problem, evidently. And there was a warning from a fellow pastor. If you think you can't fall into sexual sin, then you're godlier than David, you're stronger than Samson, and you're wiser than Solomon. And this is a pastor, Bill Perkins, um, of Coast Hills Community Church, was warning his fellow pastors. It's the take heed lest you fall principle, I think is what's happening here. And all pornography is, people, it's a result of you are exalting yourself over God, and you are working yourself, the pride of your life, out in your flesh. I must have my fix of my pleasure in my way in my timing. That's all that is. But I want to offer help, and I, I want to offer some personal helps, and I almost want to call this one horizontal and one vertical. And I, I, I want to offer this publicly so you can maybe write Psalm 101.3 and put it on a post-it note and stick it on your, your, your monitor. The NIV, I think, states it simply as, listen to this, I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. King David, as we know him, sought at least to remove the impure objects that could pull his heart away from exalting the Lord and worshiping his God. He at least sought that. I learned early on in my Christian life, I was saved at an adult. I was 27, if you call that an adult. I was accountable. I was an adult. I was 27. And, and I made this my personal rule. I had to be careful, and this is how I state it. No first looks, and when you can't help it, no second looks. In other words, no double takes. And again, as you, you know, think about this, men, women, you're, you're walking around the county fair in Burton, Ohio, and there are thousands of people, and they're not all men, and or put yourself in, in Florida on a beach, or better yet, Hawaii on a beach. You, you have to apply some personal rule to your life to not let your eyes do what your eyes do. If you have sunglasses, and, and you have to take them off so ladies can see your eyes. Maybe that will help you. You have to be careful. You honestly do. And it's not like I, I have this down. But I, 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 I do that. And, and I do that. I have a horizontal view of that. I do not want to be unfaithful to my wife who is sitting listening to this. I don't, I don't want to be unfaithful to her. And more importantly, the verse says, faithless to God. 
I don't want to be that to the Lord. That's the horizontal. But again, you may not have a horizontal relationship in your, in your sight. In other words, you're not married, etc. But what is the vertical one that we only, all of us, really all, ever need? What did Joseph do in Genesis 39? Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce him to come into a relationship that it was not above board. And he said these words. This is all we really should need. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's all we should need. The vertical check. When we are using our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our flesh, to do anything outside of the will of God, that's the only one we should need. Now, if you're coming to me, I hope you do, after this, you know, if you were coming to me and you were struggling with the sin of pornography, I would take you to Psalm 99.5 first, then... I would take you to Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. We just heard this in EMM today. Thus says the Lord, notice these things. Notice the footstool reference. Notice the heart condition and then the response to God's word. Thus said the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is this, the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Lee just taught this in adult Sunday school today. Look at the one to whom God will look. Not the proud and the one he resists, but the, the person who is humble and contrite, broken in spirit, and the one who trembles at his word. We read the Bible. We watch the Bible on TV. We watch movies. We look at everything. But does it make you tremble? Does it make you want to obey and put you in your place of humility? I'm thinking this was what the psalmist is pointing at in Psalm 99.5. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at his word. I, I, think, I think that's where he's going with this. We must all be diligent to understand the sinful personal temptations in our life. It doesn't have to be pornography. Any impurity that would lead us down the path of unrighteousness away from the holy God, we have to understand our personal temptations that we're prone to, and we must humbly exalt the Lord over them. Exalt the Lord over self and not go there in your mind or your hearts. We have to understand that we, are, we belong at his footstool. That's where we belong. And, and I think at times that, that will be very helpful if we meditate on this verse. And again, I, I have 
probably a lot more that I could say, but I can't. I got to move on. Now we're going to get to verse 9. Notice the end of the verse. Psalm 99, 9. Look where my second application is coming from. And I'm going to be spending more time in this one. Exalt your merciful God in glad wonder at his holy mountain. Do you see how that verse 9 says? And this is how I, I brought it out. Exalt your merciful God in glad wonder at his mountain. Look at the place of our worship. It's not the footstool anymore. It's his holy mountain. It's up. Verse 5 had their imagery of the footstool. And this is how you, you keep yourself from, from going too high. You need to keep yourself low. In your mind, you need to remind yourself, this is where I belong in relation to God. I'm, I need to stay low and humble. But now we get to keep or set our mind on things above. We get to go up in our minds. The first part of Psalm 99.5 pictured God's people trembling on Mount Sinai and they were standing in God's terrifying presence. Now, Tri-County, picture our privileged access to this same holy God on his mountain through faith in his son, Jesus. Remember Hebrews passage? We understand this fact because of our position in Christ, this privileged access. And, and what we're wondering is, do you actually experience this on a daily basis? It, it, I think at times, if, if we meditate on this, we could. But what we are asking ourselves, do we really understand this glad wonder that, I, that I'm outlining? And do we really experience that daily at times? For those, again, I need to take a sidebar. For those who are investigating Christianity, you don't know what I'm talking about. The imagery of footstools and mountains, it may be going over your head a little bit, but we have to understand that, that we need personally in our lives, and you need, we need a mediator of this God who reigns, the Lord who reigns, and he is Jesus. And in a nutshell, if you want to remember this, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 is the gospel in a nutshell in just a couple of verses. For I delivered, Paul's words, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The only way any of us can approach this holy uh, Lord who reigns is through faith in the Lord's crucified Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be and is the one who shields us from the wrath of this holy God as a result of him shedding his blood on the cross once for all. He offers cleansing and total forgiveness to anyone who will repent and ask for his forgiveness. I would ask you to keep, you know, visiting. Again, I, I don't have time to go into all of this, but please keep visiting. 
if, you're, if you don't understand Christianity, keep coming, and you can go to anybody that's a member here, and they will be glad to point you or give you more information on who Jesus is and what he did in their lives. That's a sidebar. So back into the, the, the application. Now remember in the first part of the application, I, I talked about having this accurate view of the holiness of God. And those who see themselves as low have no problem in understanding that they are low, God is high. Some, unfortunately, take that to an extreme. And they, they choose to wallow in self-talk that is untrue. They go too low in their thoughts. And Christian, what I want you to, to understand is that may be pride in and of itself also because anytime that you choose to believe what you think over what God says, that is pride. It's untrue. Instead, what you need to do is you need to have this, this sense of glad wonder. Why can we have this glad wonder? And it's because you have to understand the immense privilege that we have to be able to walk boldly into the throne of the God of grace and to come to him for help. That's a privilege. And he actually will welcome you, this terrifying God. He will welcome you into his presence. And what does his presence do? It gives us fullness of joy if we come into his, his presence. You have to understand, you have to realize who you are and will be in his new Jerusalem. I think that would be helpful. And just ask yourself, how would that change your outlook on life? if you meditated on this more than what you're doing right now in your life that's causing you to be depressed or sad or wherever you are, you're going too low. Some people are lacking a sense of identity and purpose in life. They try to create an identity apart from God. And I, I think this is leading into another thing that I keep hearing about, and it's a Again, a plague that I think is sweeping the United States. And it breaks our heart when we hear about this. And we hear it from people we know, from families, prayer requests, something has happened, and it's called suicide. And it's devastating. Do you understand, if you ever looked at this stat, last year alone, there was about 49,500 people that sadly ended their own lives. And that's tragic, and it's sad. And do you understand what that figure is? That's if you take all of Madison and some of the surrounding villages, that's that total. Let that sink in. It's scary. And unfortunately, if you go farther in the stats, 1.7 million people alone last year attempted it and failed. 1.7 million attempted it. And I need to 
kind of land here a little bit. I know that some of you here are hurting, and I'm trying to be sensitive to that. But what we have to understand is you're hurting emotionally. You're being hurt. You've been hurt by self-afflicted things, perhaps. Maybe even others close to you have hurt you in a way that, that puts your mind in turmoil, and you can't get off of it. And I, I understand sometimes it even it affects you physically. You, you, you dwell on it so much that it's affecting your, your physical being for long periods of time sometimes. And I have a question for you. Really, all of us, I want, I want to pose this question. How would you, looking at God's word, exalting him over your feelings, how would that help your life? How would that help you if you're wallowing in, in this self-talk or you're in the mire of depression? How would that help you get lifted up out of that? Because I think what's happening is, do you see how Psalm 99 is inviting us into a relationship with this personal, terrifying holy God? The, again, the privilege of that. Do you see how it might lead you to glad wonder? So, in closing here, I want to I show you two things that we've obtained by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus. The first one we read in Hebrews. Look at, look at what we have waiting for us. We have a perfect environment. This is where our minds need to go. If you have come to Mount Zion, it says here, of you, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. That's what we have waiting for us. It's a perfect environment. No more hurts, no more tears, no more angst. It, it really will be perfect, and I think that's where you need to push your thoughts. The second one, look what else we have waiting for us. We have perfect relationships. Can you imagine having a perfect relationship with the person next to you? Your family member, your sister, your brother, your spouse? having a perfect relationship, but look what's going to happen to us right here. We have the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Just that alone. Is your name written in heaven? And look at what we've come to. We get God, who is the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and we get Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. And that, again, the Lord Jesus enacts the new covenant for us. So let me close in this. Listen, we all, we all carry emotional trauma, I call it baggage, into our Christian life at times. Some more than others. I, I get that. But... And this is how I, I apply it to myself. And it stands a reason because of Luke 5, 30 to 32. Listen to what Jesus said in this verse. Jesus said, it wasn't the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
He didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but the sinners. So what that tells me is, I was 27 years old, I have a lot of baggage, a lot of emotional, a lot of past, a lot of darkness. And I understand that I bring a certain amount of sickness into that after he saves me that I need to deal with. And I want to offer this. One way that I found myself, that I deal with my sinful past, I put it in its rightful place. And this is what I think Paul tells us to do in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I really have made this my, my life mantra. Anytime that I, I look at my past or, or regrets, I wish I had a dad like this, I wish I had a mom like you did, I wish I this, I wish I that, I, I, I have to put it in right perspectives. Because ultimately, based on what I see in Scripture and the mountain that I need to climb in my mind, the heavenly Jerusalem that's waiting for me, I cannot let my past interfere with my present and how I see going forward in my future what's waiting for me. Do you ever do that? Do you ever use scripture to combat your sin and what's going on emotionally in your brain? I think that's what happens here. Brothers and sisters, this is what I do. I don't yet take hold of it thinking myself that I've achieved it, but this is what I do. I forget what is behind and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal of, to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul did that. I do that because I have to do that. And you need to do that. You need to forget what's going on in your past, who did what to you, and move on. You need to claim the prize that's in the mountaintops where God is. I endure you, friends, brothers and sisters. Apply Philippians 3 like this in your mind and your hearts. And Isaiah is perfect for these kind of things. Isaiah chapter 65. Listen to what Isaiah says at the end of his book. Why did God create what he did? Notice the perfect environment. Notice the perfect relationships that Isaiah is pointing out. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Why else do, do we have Jesus Christ, our mediator, dying on the cross, redeeming us as sinners, and we are wallowing in self-pity and sin. Why? Because we don't understand the pavement of heaven that he's created for us. That's where we get to go in our minds. That's where we get need to go in our minds. 
Notice, perfect environment, perfect relationships, and we can have just a little glimpse of here today. As we fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ, we understand we have just a little bit that we can experience and we can help each other with. We can have this joy and our hearts full of gladness instead of darkness and sorrow. It really can happen. If you were coming to me, I hope you still do. I'm sorry I got excited. Sorry. I, I told myself I wouldn't do that. If you were coming to me and you were struggling with some kind of emotional problem, as a starting point, I would take you to Psalm 99.9. You need to put that on your monitor or on your Bible front somewhere that whenever you're tempted to think of your past, stick that as a fauntlet on your brain, 99.9. Call, call upon the name of the Lord. Use this psalm. This, and I would point you up. I would point you up the mountain of God as a starting point. I would say, okay, let's, let's go here first and see how, how that works. Tri-County, we have a future home in the glorious kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's keep our eyes fixed on being in God's presence on his mountain where our past calamities and all former sorrows on earth will be hidden from our eyes by the many mercies of the holy God. Do not accept the inheritance of your past, accept the inheritance of God that he is destined for you to receive. This will bring you, I believe, into his joy today. Can you imagine it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we know that at times we need to be taken low. Uh, we obviously do because we're full of sin. We're still full of the sickness that we bring into our Christian life. But please, Lord, help those that need to be brought low. Help them to do that, not because of the words that I've said, but because of the psalmist, because of Hebrews, because they finally get an idea of the holiness of God and they are exalting self instead of exalting you. I pray that that would happen even today among somebody here, Lord. And then I also pray on this, uh, the other side of this. Lord, the mercies of God. I pray that you would lift somebody out of their mire today. And ultimately, Lord, I pray for preventive maintenance of our lives. I pray that we walk so close with you that we would forsake our flesh, that we would forsake our sin, and we would come into the joy of our Christian life. Even today, I pray that you would, you would lift somebody out of their miry clay that they're in. Use the Holy Spirit that's in them to bring to remembrance the things that your word has said and lift them, Lord, I pray. And all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.